This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. We've never experienced a year like 2020. A deadly pandemic, political division, social unrest, natural disasters. Yet, we're still here, and now so are the holidays. Hi, I'm John Doherty. May this holiday season bring you joy and peace. May 2021 be a better year for all of us. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy and Healthy New Year. Happy Holidays from IBEW Local 98. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will be inspired to use their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and thanks so much for being with me for another week of Women to Watch. It feels so great to be doing the show in a brand new year, and I wish you all the very best in 2021. My guest this evening has a truly impressive story. Joining me in just a moment will be Myoshia Boinkin Anderson, and Myoshia is the CEO and president of Antech Solutions, which is an award-winning national technology company based in Texas. She'll be with us in just a minute. In addition to my interview with Myoshia, you'll hear from our amazing watch team of on-air contributors. We will have a check-in from one of our past guests, Charlotte Sibley, who was with us back in 2016. And we'll have a very special spotlight at the end of the show with Dr. Tamitha Fenster of Weill Cornell Medicine. Tamitha, who uh, developed an incredible device for COVID patients to to connect directly with their families um, from their hospital beds, will be sharing how she uh, developed this device and how people can get their hands on it. So it's, it's a really interesting story. For those of you who might be new to the show, I hope you'll visit us at womentowatch.net to sign up for our newsletter 
and our podcast. Uh, and to learn more about becoming a part of our on-air watch team, feel free to email Laura at womentowatch.net to learn more about this very unique opportunity to be on the air with us. That's Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at womentowatch.net, women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. So now I'm thrilled and honored to welcome to the show Myoshia Boykin Anderson. Myoshia, thanks so much for being with me this evening. Oh my goodness. Happy New Year, Sue. I am excited about being here. Oh, good. Listen, I, you know, in, in speaking to you and in reading about your journey and your career, I, I'm very honored to share it because I think you're just an incredible um, example of overcoming um, a very tough beginning, I will say. And, and that's where I want to start. You know, you grew up in a very difficult environment. Um, and I thought I would open up the show with this quote. You said, when I think about my childhood, I remember that I walked the same streets as George Floyd. There were drugs, poverty, and despair all around me, but I felt I was predestined to be a light. So my first question to you is, at what age did you recognize this in yourself? Wow. And as I listened to you read it, it a huge smile um, automatically comes to my face um, because I do. I remember, and of course, being in that time, you know, I don't think I, I really realized at that moment what that would mean for my journey today. But I do remember feeling you know, even in middle school, I, I think it was literally middle school for me. It was at the moment where I got inducted into the National Honor Society in my seventh grade year. And the fact that we didn't have money to buy a dress for my induction ceremony. And having the wherewithal, if you will, to pick the best dress that I did have and walk proudly in that induction ceremony and get the National Honor Society um, election that I had received, I knew at that moment that I was going to be able to rise above anything that lay ahead of me. Um, and, and I was quite young at the time, but I just remember, remember that feeling you know, I was initially very saddened by the fact that everybody else was getting new dresses and everything to wear to the ceremony. And I believe it was on a Thursday night, if I can recall correctly. But I just remember initially having such sadness, but then being able to turn that around and say, you know what, I don't care what I wear as long as I was smart enough to be selected. And and I mm. took that. I literally took it and buried it in deep inside of me. And I brought it up every time I needed it. And there were many, many times that I needed it. I bet. I bet. You know, and I think of you, Mayoshi, as a little girl, you know, when we're when we're very young, our parents and our home is our is our safe space or should be. So being in that kind of environment, were you were you afraid? Did you have you know, did you? 
what were you feeling, you know, prior to high school where I know you had a very transformational um, experience? You know, I, I don't, I don't recall fear being the emotion that I felt. Um, I do remember feeling maybe hopeless at times Mm -hmm. being little, but then also it's quite ironic because even in those moments, I knew that I had to rise above my, you know, there were, there were drugs in my family and all of that. And I was, I'm not the oldest, there are four of us and I'm not the oldest, but I was always that one. I was that one that was going to ensure that my siblings and I were good. So Mm. that meant being, you know, like this, this comforter early on. And then as I got older, literally being a provider, a, a financial provider for my siblings and I. So the emotion wasn't fear. It was definitely um, the unknown, right? And it was definitely Mm -hmm. being able, um, you know, just recognizing the state that things were in at the moment. Uh, But ironically enough, though, I also remember a lot of joy, like not necessarily happiness, but a lot of joy. So joyful moments. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, something um, that that you talk about, and I find it so interesting. Um, you, you, You found technology and immediately connected to it as a way to analyze and solve problems. And you talk about how, you know, you weren't able to, to come up with solutions and solve problems that were going on in the family, but you could do that with technology. Yeah. Tell me about, yeah, tell me about your relationship with Miss Phillips, the teacher that, you know, introduced you to it. Oh, my goodness. When I, it's so funny, when I think of Miss Phillips, I think of ASDFJKL Sim, which are your homeroom <laughs> keys in your typing class, because that's how the class started. The class started as a typing class, and it morphed into a computer slash word processing class. And every time I think of her, and she was an elderly lady at the time, but I just remember her pouring so much into us and really teaching us to excel from the time that she taught us to type and we were trying to increase our words per minute and you know how much she just drove us to excellence. And as the class and the semester progressed, we um, we went into um, computers and and word processes, word processing, and all of that. And it really forced us into problem solving and analytics and all of that. And I found so much, I found so much satisfaction in being able to arrive at the solutions. That was so satisfying to me, and I felt so <laughs> accomplished um, with every with every scenario, every challenge we were um, presented with. It felt so good. The feeling of reward and accomplishment when I arrived at a solution was a feeling that 
was so overwhelming to me. I knew that this is what I wanted to feel more of. And I believe, I truly believe that that is what has driven, you know, the success of this journey and, and then the success that is yet to come as well. You know, I, I was going to ask you, you know, what was it that sustained you um, as, as a young girl? And it sounds as if that's what it was. So school for you was probably a blessing and you looked forward to being there. It really was. It really was. And I, I enjoyed my friends at school. I enjoyed some of my teachers. It's, it's, they're never all good, (laughs) but but I'll, I'll share a quick, you know, little story. It was so good. You know, one of my, one of my most favorite, my most favorite teachers was from elementary school and she actually appeared on CNN last year when, you know, when the, when, when the world was, you know, caught, you know, just, just, you know, squarely with the whole George Floyd, um, situation um she appeared on cnn because she was george floyd's second grade teacher as well he he was a little bit younger than me but but um when i think about when i think about school i think about those times those teachers that poured so much into us and it was great just you know that came up because i saw her on television and i'm like oh my goodness it's mitch sexton but um wow but that's what school was for me yeah. And what what age would you say it was you made the decision that you wanted a different life and a and a better future? So I think that I made the decision internally. I would say definitely in middle school, but it was high school and a a sense of coming of age if you will that that made me feel like it was possible. Right. I, I'm always um, amazed at the, you know, that kind of um, determination in young people. Some some people, it takes really a lifetime to find that confidence, and it's it's always you know exciting for me to hear that it can happen for girls at a very young age because that's really what we want for them, right? Yes, we don't want them to have to wait an entire year. Um, listen, we're going to go into our first break. Stay with us. I'm talking to Myosia Boykin Anderson this evening. She's the president and CEO of her own company, Entech Solutions. Stay tuned for our watch team. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch Legal Watch. This is Nicole Hitner at Ballard Spar Law Firm for Legal Watch. The ongoing COVID-19 pandemic has had an impact on our nation's laws that never could have been predicted. One of the latest developments comes to us from the new COVID-19 stimulus law under a section titled Strengthening Parity in Mental Health and Substance Use Disorder Benefits. This new law strives to make mental health as important and manageable for people as physical health. It requires health plans and insurance policies to provide mental health benefits that are on par with the medical and surgical benefits that they provide. The new law goes even further by requiring covered plans and insurers to perform and document various comparative analyses proving they're doing just that. The insurance providers must be prepared to provide this ongoing documentation to the Department of Labor, Health and Human Services, and the Treasury, and if they don't comply, there are very public consequences. 
It's been widely reported that the COVID-19 pandemic has led to an increase in mental health issues. It's no wonder, with the isolation of quarantine and the ongoing restrictions on gatherings and events. The pandemic is certainly a pressure cooker for mental health issues. Ballard has set up a healthcare reform dashboard to help you track the new laws as the legislature is doing what it can to help. But it's also on each one of us. Women to Watch listeners, make a commitment today to reach out and connect with someone and make sure your New Year's resolution includes taking care of yourself and your own physical and mental well-being. This is Nicole Hitner at Ballard's Bar for your Legal Watch, wishing you a happy and healthy New Year. Now, the Women to Watch, Military Watch. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President, Military Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. As we all know, the pandemic has changed life as we knew it. And with so many of our lives becoming virtual, connection matters now more than ever. That's why I'm so proud that Comcast has continued its commitment to keeping people connected, especially those in underserved communities. One way we're doing this is by extending our Internet Essentials offer through the end of June. Internet Essentials is the nation's largest, most comprehensive internet adoption program for low-income households, including military families. This current offer allows new customers to have 60 days of free internet service. With more people working from home and kids attending school virtually, having internet access is absolutely vital. And in addition to Internet Essentials, we have also launched our Lift Zones initiative, which provides community centers and nonprofit partners with high-speed internet. This allows students to have a safe place to get online during the day when at-home learning isn't possible. We've already opened 200 Lift Zones with a mission to reach 1,000 over the next couple of years. The good news for military families is that we are working with the VA to help establish lift zones specifically for the military community. The power of connection means everything right now. So please join me in spreading the word about Comcast's Internet Essentials and Lift Zones to help bridge the digital divide and support digital literacy. You never know who might be in need and who you might help by sharing this information. Learn more at update.comcast.com. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. Welcome back. I'm speaking to Mayoshia Boykin Anderson this evening, and she shared with us very candidly about her her upbringing, um, a difficult one, and 
how she decided she was going to create a different life for herself. Um, I know that when you were let go of your very first job, and and I do want to know how you landed that first job, because um, a big part of your story is that you did not go on to college and and get a college degree, um, just high school, but um, you wrote down all 63 names of the clients that you served at that company because you knew that they were going to be um, in need of a service provider. I think that's incredible initiative on your part. Tell, can you tell us first how you got that first job and then how doing that um, helped you get to the next step? Yes, definitely. So I'll, I'll never forget it. It was the, at that time, it was what I had considered to be my dream job. The job actually started in Maryland. I moved from Houston to the DC, Maryland area in 1994. And I, I moved to Maryland to be closer to my dad who had divorced my mom when we were, um, I, I was 11, I believe, and my dad had moved back to Virginia and he connected with his high school sweetheart. They got married in 1986 and, you know, started their lives. So they lived in Maryland, right outside of DC. And I moved to be closer to them. So I got there and I was already, I, I was already in technology. After high school, I started working for a staffing company here in Texas. And I'm not sure if they were worldwide, but it was called Kelly Services. And when you worked for Kelly Services, and primarily it was women, but when you worked for Kelly Services, you were called a Kelly girl. So I was a Kelly girl initially, but- right. It was so exciting. I was I was a brand new I was a brand new mother and I was very driven to providing this um, better and I'm throwing my air quotes in the air for you guys out there in the audience. I I was so determined to provide a better life for my daughter. So I was I I, I thought that, you know, I would go to Kelly Services and I would get, you know, this job and I would start working as, you know, a computer support assistant or at the help desk of different companies. So they just staffed me around and it was quite exciting. But I moved to the Maryland area in 1994 and I, the cost of living is much higher in Maryland. So the the salaries were much higher than I had been exposed to in Texas. So I was quite excited about getting this job at this company as one of their account managers. So I, when I first got there, I started working at an educational association as their computer support assistant. And then I was courted away from them from this huge technical integration company. So I started the job and literally I thought it was like the dream job. I was making more money than I had ever made. I remember it was $48,000 a year. And I thought that was absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> well, it was back then. Yes, yes. <laughs> right? It was. $48,000 a year. I could wow. not. And you're fresh out of, and you're out of high school, yeah. right? So Yeah. yeah. This, I mean, it was just, I was, I was literally, yeah, I was four years out of high school. And wow. um, so I thought it was my dream job. So at that time, my mom, 
who um, she and my dad were living there, but my mom um, received a job offer overseas. So they were about to move away from Maryland and move to Germany. And my thinking was, well, the only reason, and this was 1997, and I'm like, well, the only reason I'm here is because of them. So if they're going to move, I have to try to make my way back to Texas, right? Literally, literally the same week that she got the offer to move to Germany, I walked into work one day and the, there was an announcement at the company that I worked for. They said, we have acquired a company in Houston and we need someone to relocate to Houston to run, to be the account manager of the office. I could not believe it. I could not believe it. So um, needless to say, the company that I worked for actually paid for my transition back home which I was preparing to do anyway. So, oh my goodness, it was just so amazing. So I moved back to Houston. So I am, um, I was able to keep my same salary, which was also like a dream come true. But I'm in the office one day, Sue, here in Houston. I'm back home. I've only been back here for a few months. It is now February of 1998. And my manager comes in the office one day and she says, we have decided to close the Houston office. And I was literally devastated to the point where I had to excuse myself and go to the ladies room. And I literally Mm -hmm. bawled my eyes out. I literally did. I couldn't believe that what I thought was a dream was about to end. And she said, they've decided to close the office today. So it was immediately at that moment. So so I was, I was devastated, literally. But it was amazing that I, I had that moment of devastation. I had that moment in the ladies' room where I literally didn't know what I was going to do. But I remember picking myself up because I was, slum- I was literally slumped over. I remember picking myself up and washing my face because now I had black mascara running down my face but (laughs) I remember cleaning my face and determining in that moment that nobody would ever have that type of control over me again wow and that's when the entrepreneurial bug was born I didn't immediately become an entrepreneur because I was a single parent no savings living paycheck to paycheck So my immediate course of action was to get another job, and I did. But it was planted that day that I was going to be an entrepreneur. So if I did not work, it would be because of me, not because of anybody else. Right. And so, you know, you you decided one of the first things I should do is write down the names of these clients and tell me, Let's let's go to November 1998 yes. when you started your first company. Um, what was the very first thing you did? Yes. So so um, so that day, that day that they were closing the office, and she even asked me if I would help her clean the office. And I remember thinking the audacity, but I did. <laughs> You did. So you're a good person. So I did. But what I also thought in that moment, I I hadn't. I was like, listen, 
not only am I about to be out of a job, but all 63 of the clients that I served in that company were now going to be without an account manager, without a service provider. So I literally, I literally took all 63 of those names and their numbers. And once I had landed at a new job, I started calling each of those names. So I started in February and I called all 63 and I had a little script and it was, hey, it's Myosia. I know that you guys now are without a service provider. Are there any projects that you need help with? Now, I didn't necessarily have a full plan devised, but each one of those 63 people told me no. Every last one of them told me no. But my response to them was not one of dejection or, you know, or rejection or any of that. My response to them was, it's okay. Do you mind if I give you a call next month? And I was literally surprised at myself that I would respond to the no in that manner. But I did. And some of them said, yes, you could call me next month. And some of them said no. But every month, Sue, I picked a Friday that I would make my calls. And my list kept getting smaller and smaller because every time I asked, everyone would say no. And my response all the time was, would you mind if I called you next month? And I went through that from February until November. So by the time November came, there were only 16 names on my list at this time. So I picked my Friday. It was actually Friday the 13th, um, <laughs> which is quite <laughs> interesting. But right. it was Friday the 13th, and I started placing my phone calls. Same script, started with the list of 16 at this point. And I was halfway through the list. And the response was not a yes, but the response was, huh, as a matter of fact. And I literally, Sue, started my business on those five words. As a matter of fact, what? I took it and I ran with it, literally. I, I got off the phone with her. And it was interesting for, for those of us who are old enough to remember, the project itself was um, work perfect. This was a law firm here in Houston, and they were upgrading their version of WordPerfect. So for any of you, um, for any of you guys out there that remember WordPerfect as the word processing system before Microsoft Oh, I Word. do. Yes, 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 yes. The <laughs> yeah, blue, I the do. The blue screen, right? So, uh, yes. so that was the project. But I remember getting off the phone with her. I didn't even call the rest of the people on the list. I told my supervisor I needed to take my lunch break. I remember driving downtown to pay $10 to get a DBA. I didn't even know what I was going to call my business. So <laughs> I, I, I had to I resolve that. that on the drive there. But that's how I started. That's how I started. Yeah. And yeah. I literally started my company that day, November 13th, 1998. And wow. on Monday morning, I was at my new client's office getting ready to help them upgrade WordPerfect. It was it was quite interesting. I look back on it now, and it still brings me, um, brings me so much um, pleasure 
on one hand, but also when I think about it now, I was like, oh my goodness, how frightening was that to really step out? Because I literally quit my job that Friday. Like I, I went downtown, got my business license for $10. I came back to the office and I quit my job. Wow. You know, Mayosha, you just have an innate belief in yourself, I would say, because the risks you have taken, you know, um, without really fully knowing how they're going to play out, (laughs) that that takes a belief, you know, and what a great example of it only takes one. Yes. Yes. It only takes one yes, and you just kept at it until you got it, uh, and then you you said, "I can start a company with my first client." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was the name of the first company? Because that's that was not Entech Solutions. It, it was not. It was called Boykin Business Solutions, and, okay. and, and and I came up with that name because Boykin is my maiden name, and I was okay. I thought, okay, I'm in technology. I have to figure out a play on words. I was trying to figure out acronyms. So I was trying to figure out what acronyms were in the tech space at that time. And I came up with BBS because that was the name of a mainframe back then. So BBS, Boykin Business Solutions, is what I came up with. Okay. Now that works. Um, Listen, we're going to go into our next break, and we will be back with Mayoshi of Boykin Anderson. Stay with us for our watch team. You're listening to Women to Watch. Now the Women to Watch. Finance Watch. Hi, this is Terry, and I'm from Fortis Family Office. Your finance watch team has talked about many topics relating to your personal financial planning over the last two years. Over the next few weeks, we'd like to highlight some of the more important themes. First would be the importance of getting your personal and financial information organized. Make a list of your assets and liabilities. Keep track of them and of your spending. Use financial software or an app like Mint.com or Quicken. Even an Excel spreadsheet would be helpful. Knowing where and how you spend can help you cut out unnecessary expenses. Create a budget and stick to it. It may help you find more money to save. Having an emergency fund of three to six months of living expenses is the solid foundation of any financial plan. This idea was again driven home by the pandemic. Start building yours now if you haven't already. Another good practice is to stress test your financial plan when you ask what if. Start by determining your specific goals. Work with a financial advisor who can model different assumptions and help you evaluate the long-term impact. For example, what if I retire at 62 instead of 65? What if my spouse or I are not able to work for an extended period? What if we buy a larger house? Make stress testing your plan a goal for 2021. The time and money spent can minimize the financial, emotional, and psychological cost of a plan that's flawed or in conflict with your goals. Continue to stress test periodically as your goals and situation will probably change over time. Let your family and or trusted advisor know where to find your important documents, account numbers, and other details in case they'll need to access them on your behalf. Speaking of important documents, anyone over the age of 18 should have a will, durable power of attorney, and health care power of attorney in place. It's also important to engage your family and loved ones in conversation about the household finances. Discuss your plans and decisions with your spouse or partner. Share your financial knowledge with your children and other family members. Let them know what you want to have happen if you are seriously ill, disabled, or worse. Encourage everyone to ask questions and discuss their financial concerns and insights. This kind of communication can help to avoid future conflict and uncertainty if a crisis arises. This is Terry. Peace out. 
If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth invites you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. Now, the Women to Watch, Nonprofit Watch. Good evening, Women to Watch listeners. I'm Dr. Nakia Owens, Managing Director of Financial Empowerment at the United Way of Greater Philadelphia in Southern New Jersey. As many of you are well aware, the unexpected can happen to any of us. And we know this more closely due to the COVID pandemic and how over 150 million Americans were faced with filing for unemployment, and now over 8 million are faced with living in poverty. A disruption in income has the propensity to cause the greatest impact and disruption in a person's life, especially when caring for children. As a result of generous donors, United Way invests in a family empowerment initiative designed to support families throughout the Philadelphia region who find themselves at risk of becoming homeless or might be homeless already. This initiative supports the whole family so parents are able to find or acquire greater employment and the children can remain in the same school in supporting their academic success. This initiative is not based solely on income, but looks at the entire family situation and what is needed to support the family in maintaining housing stability. There are case managers willing and ready to support the family with their goals, but not dictate those goals. If you know a family in the Philadelphia area who has been adversely impacted or is at risk of homelessness due to a job loss, please have them reach out to United Way's helpline by calling 211, or they can reach out to United Way's partner directly, Yousef at www.uesfacts.org. And until next time, I'm Dr. Owens, your nonprofit watch. Now more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Hi, Sue Rocco here with an update from one of our past guests. I'm here with Charlotte Sibley. Charlotte is the principal of Sibley and Associates, and she was with us back in 2016. I can't believe it's been four years. Charlotte, tell our listeners uh, what you're working on and what you've been up to. Hello, Sue. Thank you, and Happy New Year to everybody. Since we last talked, I have been elected as the first independent director to the board of directors of Advisen, a French-based biotech company focused on renal disease. And it's been very interesting, of course, working now remotely with the pandemic. We're all on Zoom for the past almost year now. Um, I'm on the remuneration committee, uh, NomGov, and we've just elected Uh, hired a new um, CEO who will be announced later this week uh, in our um, in our uh, public relations announcement. So that's been quite an exciting opportunity. Most of the meetings are in English. Occasionally the minutes are in French. Um, I majored in French. It's rusty, but it's been good brushing up for me. 
In addition, I continue to chair the board of directors of Mendelssohn Chorus of Philadelphia, which is one of the oldest, uh, second oldest mixed chorus in the United States, volunteer chorus, and the largest in the Philadelphia area. We sing generally at the Christmas season with the glorious sound of Christmas with the Philadelphia Orchestra, obviously not this year. And we are, however, doing several virtual recordings. If you look at mcchorus.org, our latest virtual recording of A Slice of Pie is by a local uh, commission from a local composer, Melissa Dunphy, with a local poet, Feminista Jones, uh, on pie. And it's a glorious video showing, uh, in addition to the singers, people eating, baking, uh, slicing pie. So these are technological and musical challenges, but we're determined to keep the community going for Mendelssohn Chorus. I continue to do um, a lot of mentoring and coaching, having had a lot of job changes in my career. Uh, it's all pro bono. And of course, now either all over Zoom or the phone, not uh, no more coffee meetings for a while. Mm. I speak occasionally. Um, and one of the sad events was that my husband was diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis. He had a lung transplant uh, about a year and a half ago, and he did not wake up from it. So it's been a challenging year for me. Uh, it was our only option. I practiced gratitude every day for the 33 years we had together. It was, we met at a blind date to the Metropolitan Opera in New York City, um, December 4th, 1985, and we were together ever since. So I'm grateful for that, for friends, for being busy with my boards and mentoring for um, the, the time that we had. And now looking forward to the new year, the vaccine. Um, I was also uh, very, very honored to receive the uh, alumni award from Middlebury College at my 50th uh, college reunion and um, have been inducted into the Insights Association as uh, one of the inaugural um, insight laureates, um, even though I haven't practiced <laughs> market research for a while, but bring the practice of insights to my board. So it's been a good few years, and I hope uh, in general, and um, I miss my husband terribly, and as he would say, Avanti, we go on. Hmm. Charlotte, I'm so sorry to hear that about your husband. And I'm sure that you're, you know, keeping busy as you do in so many different areas is, is going to be helpful. So I, I wish you a very happy new year and continued success and hope you'll stay in touch with us. Thank you. I hope so also. And thanks for the opportunity. Happy new year to all. Take care. Thank you. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. 
Welcome back. Thanks for being with me this evening. If you missed the first hour of the show, I'm speaking with Myosia Boykin Anderson, who is the president and CEO of her own company called End Tech Solutions, uh, based in Texas. Um, I also just want to give a quick shout out to stay with us um, at the end of the show, where you'll hear um, a quick segment from Dr. Tamitha Fenster of voicelove.org. Tamitha developed a, a really cool and unique device so that COVID patients can connect with their loved ones while they're in the hospital. So that'll be coming up just after uh, the end of the show. Um, Mayoshi, you know, the first hour of this show was spent talking about your background and what led to the first company. And I was curious to know why the close of that first company in 2007. I understand, you know, you grew a six-figure operation. It was very successful. Um, Tell me why the close then. So 2007 arrived and when I first started the business in 1998, I didn't know the first thing about running a business. I was so green and I, you know, I made so many mistakes and all of that. And one of them was the whole notion of putting all of your eggs in one basket. I didn't do any marketing or advertising or anything in my first business. All of the business over the course of those nine years, all of the business was made by referrals. And by the beginning of 2007, all of the referrals dried out. And it was quite interesting to me that I was even able to sustain even that final year. But I realized that I I knew that entrepreneurship was the route for me. And I knew that if I was going to continue, I needed to do something different. So what had gotten me to that point of success was not going to be what was going to help me continue. So I decided that I was going to close the business because, you know, I, I had just finished our final project with our final client and I didn't have any other clients coming up next or any projects coming up next. So I closed the business at the end of 2007. And while I knew I didn't want to go back to a regular job, and here goes my air quotes again, while I knew I didn't mm-hmm. want to go back to a regular job, I knew I needed to do something differently. And while I was figuring that out, I still needed to be able to provide a roof over my daughter's head and all of that right. still as a single yes. parent. So I actually took a consulting project with another consulting company. So I worked on that project for them and I took all of the lessons learned from Boykin Business Solutions and I started devising my new plan. In the process, I met an amazing Jamaican guy in January 2008 and we were later married in 2009, but I I just spent all of 2008 literally Um, devising my plan. How was I going to come back bigger and better? And I did that. We, let's see, we spent 2008 putting the plan together. I launched 
and Tech Solutions in January of 2009. And still in the same space, technology, strategy, and consulting, but this time I was I was a better business owner, still with a whole lot to learn, but I realized how I would do things differently. And from 2009 until today, it's been a phenomenal journey. We've been able to grow to um, multiple seven figures now, I'm, I'm very proud of, but I'm, I'm even prouder of the work that we continue to do to elevate us even higher. I, I see great things in the future. Mayoshia, can you tell me who are your clients? What types of businesses and companies are coming to you? My clients actually um, span across a whole lot of spectrums because we serve Fortune 500 corporations. Um, we we have a very strong core competency in the healthcare space, so in healthcare IT. So we have a lot of healthcare clients, but we also serve the oil and gas industry, of course, being here in Texas, and the waste industry. So we serve Fortune 500 corporations. But in 2007, I decided that while that work was still very rewarding for me, my passion work was to be able to bring that same level of excellence and expertise to small and medium-sized companies. So we serve small and medium businesses, helping them, I say, work smarter and not harder, um, using technology to... Um, to elevate and scale their businesses. So we work with a lot of small businesses now um, in helping them just set up their technology stack and also to realize one of the things that I'm very proud of, Sue, is my ability to help businesses realize that from a technical perspective, you don't have to try to get all of the new shiny objects that are out there. And you don't necessarily have to use the same technology that your, um, that your friend or your you know, other colleague is using. Technology is very specific and we specialize in creating custom solutions for our clients. Um, so, so it, it runs the gamut. We, we still have um, a great line of business in the Fortune 500 and corporate space, um, but we have an even larger area um, of expertise now in the small and medium business space. Um, Mayushi, you just said something that makes me want to jump ahead to a question I, I had further down the row. Um, the term work hard is is very often identified with success mm -hmm. and you know in a world where people are recognizing i think that you don't necessarily need to work harder to be successful how would you describe how you work today you just said you know smarter not harder and and i so agree with that oh yes yes we have unfortunately bought into the notion that you have to kill yourself to be successful, and that couldn't be further from the truth. But it requires being smart. So I would say that, it, especially for me, I believe in 
in, in working smarter. I believe in 10xing my business without 10xing my time. And that means implementing systems and processes and automation and people. It takes all of that to be able to scale. Because when you think about it, the way a business grows is to do more of what's working for them now. But in order to do more of that, if you're trying to do it yourself, you're going to get burnt out. You're going to, you know, you're, you're going to end up being sick. It's not going to be beneficial to you, even though it may look tangibly like it is initially. It, it's not good. So in order to do more, you need people, but you need systems and you need automation. And that's what the power of technology is. The power of technology is helping a business realize that, you know what, or helping a business owner realize that they don't have to spend their time having five or six phone calls or exchanging five or six emails to schedule a meeting. Technology allows you to use a tool that would schedule that for you. So that now mm -hmm. your time right. is used in more meaningful ways, right? So, right. so and, and technology doesn't have to be this big thing that small businesses feel is unattainable. All businesses can utilize technology. And that's why I say we help small businesses realize that you don't have to try to do what everybody else is doing. You can, you yeah, can that, incorporate solutions that work for you the way you do business. You know, working in technology and also very much with in the healthcare industry, can you tell me, have you had it kind of an explosive um, number of new and different projects because of COVID and the pandemic? Yes, definitely. It's been amazing. The... Um, the, the excitement about the creativity that's now coming out, right? Because now people are forced to think differently and to think outside of the box and to be able to leverage technology to achieve all of that has been amazing for us. We had an amazing 2020 and, you know, I see it as the year of opportunities, but I look at everything in life, Sue, as an opportunity. I just... You know, the, the, the lenses of my glasses are different. Rose colored. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yes, yes. And, you know, I know that you're you're very spiritual, um, Mayosha. And I, um, I have another quote here just before the break. I'll share it. You said it took a lot of perseverance and resilience for me to rise above what I could see in front of me and march towards the abundant life that God had in store would you say that your um, spirituality is something that really sustains you through scary times and, and tough things and, and challenges? Without a doubt. I literally would not be where I am if it had not been for the amazing protection of my God and my ability to persevere and push through is because I, I didn't only recognize who I was, but whose I was. 
And if I'm a child of God, then I know he's going to protect me through any challenge and any hurdle and any obstacle. And I truly believe that day in and day out. That's that's beautiful. Um, we're going to go into our very last break. I'm speaking with Myosha Boykin Anderson, President and CEO of Entech Solutions. Stay with us for our watch team and we'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. Marketing Watch. Hi, everyone. I'm Lynn Falconio, Chief Marketing Officer of Publicis Health for Women to Watch Marketing Watch. So far on the show, we've discussed life under the curve and how the current state of our world has upended industries, accelerated trends, and changed so many varied aspects of our lives. Although the pandemic has impacted nearly every corner of our economy, the travel and hospitality industry have been disproportionately affected by the economic fallout. Even as parts of the country reopen, many Americans are still reluctant to travel. Those that are traveling are doing so domestically and for leisure, as borders remain closed and business travelers continue to work remotely. According to the U.S. Travel Association, since the beginning of March, The pandemic has resulted in nearly $450 in cumulative losses for the U.S. travel economy. However, it's not all bad news. We are seeing a slow return to roads and skies, and for those that are traveling, it's all about sun and snow destinations, according to Gary Kelly, the CEO of Southwest Airlines. Other major carriers are seeing similar trends. Delta reports that flights in and out of New York City are only at 25% of their 2019 levels, but their hub in Salt Lake City, gateway to the Mountain West and dozens of national parks, is still operating at 90% of last year. Airlines have launched new routes connecting Colorado ski towns like Steamboat Springs, and for those looking for sun, this fall, almost every major U.S. airline added capacity to Palm Springs as leisure travelers seek to escape to the great outdoors. As we look towards the holidays and the busiest travel season of the year, how can brands ensure safety and give consumers the confidence to travel? Next week, we'll explore how travel brands are adapting operating models and marketing strategies to ensure safety and boost customer confidence. I'm Lynn Falconio, and this was Women to Watch, Marketing Watch. Now, the Women to Watch, Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. It's January, so reflect on the past and make plans to improve in the new year. The focus of this month, wellness and prevention. It's always a good way to start a new year, but especially now, since COVID has caused so many Americans of all ages to delay or stop receiving routine and preventive care. This morning on Your Radio Doctor, we spoke with Dr. Katie Lockwood, pediatrician from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Bringing your children for routine well visits is extremely important. The pediatrician can assess milestones in development and look for progression and not regression. And if there is an issue, the earlier it's addressed, the more likely the intervention will be helpful. The points in development might include an infant holding his or her head up, baby taking first steps, saying one or two words, and then speaking in phrases. The doctor also evaluates nonverbal cues. Does the child make eye contact? How is the child's social interaction with surrounding people and objects? How does he respond to sounds, speech patterns? We also talked about the proper way to take a child's temperature and what we can learn from the child's breathing pattern. As your child grows, other screening tests 
check for elevated lead levels or anemia, a low blood count, which can be from poor nutrition. We also talked about ensuring proper amounts of fluoride, dental care, as well as hearing and vision screenings, because changes in hearing and vision can be very subtle and missed by parents and caregivers. A serious concern right now, the significant drop in critical childhood vaccinations that's occurred during COVID. Independence Blue Cross published a report when comparing 2020 to 2019, we see a 26% drop in MMR, DTaP, and polio vaccinations. That's about 9 million doses across the nation. And up to 40% of parents admit their children missed vaccines because of the pandemic. This is a danger to the individual child, but also threatens the entire community. Pediatricians are concerned that this trend may lead to outbreaks of measles and whooping cough. Divas, know that your pediatrician is taking steps to keep the office safe. In the words of singer Bobby V, take good care of your babies. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back. I'm speaking with Myosia. And uh, just a quick reminder to stay with us right after the end of the show to hear um, a wonderful spotlight on um, Dr. Tamitha Fenster, who is going to share with us um, a device that she developed that allows patients who are in the hospital suffering from COVID to connect with their families. And it's interesting that that she's going to be a spotlight in this show tonight, Myosia, when, you know, we were just talking about all the new developments that have had to come about because of the pandemic. Um, you know, I, I think it's such great advice when you talk about when, when there's these challenges that to really look at them as opportunities rather than to kind of get stuck in the fear. It, I would imagine when you have an opportunity to speak in front of um, crowds and, and groups of women, which I know you do, that that would be one of the things you want them to walk away with. Oh, yes, definitely. To 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 understand that, you know what, there are always going to be challenges. There are always going to be obstacles. And and when the you know, as the as the saying goes, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, we we haven't even experienced our last, you know, issue or challenge or hurdle. So being able to have the mindset to push through, to know that there's something bigger and better waiting for you. Now, you're going to have to go through some stuff. And the beauty of it is that the plans have already been written. All we have to do is walk in faith. It, you know, I, I truly believe that this journey that we're on, not just myself, but all of us, the journeys that we are on requires our ability to take the step and oftentimes to take the leap of faith. And once you do that, the provision is already there, right? So, so I am a true believer in that. And to be able to literally stand up in front of crowds and to live out loud in front of them to let them know that I'm not speaking from something I read in a book. This has been my life. And if I have been able to do it, anybody can do it. Anybody can do it. There was nothing special about me except 
for my willingness to take the leaps of faith that I did. And nothing, nothing more than that. Everything that we need as women, as entrepreneurs, as even intrapreneurs, really, everything that we need, we already have. All we have to do is tap into it. And that's not always an easy thing to do, but it's doable nonetheless. And you're right. It's not. And what, what, what do you, there's many culprits, you know, for why women cannot tap into that. Um, I know when, you know, we think about the state of the country today and you're very grateful for being in a position to speak to, to large numbers of people, but, but many women are not. Um, and, and you know what, I think about your mom and perhaps you can talk a little bit about what, what was it about her that didn't allow her to tap into her own gifts and power? Have you thought about that? You know, I, I hadn't until very recently, we, we literally had a, a crying fest here in my dining room. Um, my my mother was here recently, and the conversation that we had was like none other than we had had in the past. But what I learned in that moment was that, you know, a lot of the decisions she made and some that she didn't make when we were growing up were the result of the same decisions that were made or not from her mom and from her mom and how it was passed on from generation to generation. And, and I remember, I don't, I don't know at what age, but I remember hearing the whole idea about breaking the cycle, like breaking the generational curse, like, changing the story, rewriting the story. Mm. And I learned so much about my mom that that turned light bulbs on in my head. And it it lended itself to a greater understanding of the why. Um, all of the all of the whys that I've had for so many years, it it they they were they were almost all answered in one setting at the dining room table. Wow. So, so I believe that so much plays into it. And even when we think about us today and, you know, and those that are listening to us today, there are, as you mentioned, Sue, a lot of corporates and it's going to look different and sound different and feel different from one person to the next. But what is consistently true, what I believe to be consistently true, is that God is able to restore us. And all we have to do is allow him. Mm. And you know what, Mayoshia? I, I believe that those simple, um, candid, and sometimes difficult conversations with family members can change your life. Mm -hmm. And they don't happen enough. It's, 
it's hard, right? And you have to be extremely vulnerable. Yeah, um, I think about I, I think about that word vulnerability, and I thought about it a lot last year, especially listening to um, Brene Brown. But um, I I thought about that word and how that conversation that we had was was just it it was difficult. It was a very difficult one. But the two of us, because it 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 you can't you can't go into a situation being the only one that is willing to be vulnerable because you, you come out hurt. You, you come out yes. hurter than you were before you went in, if, if that's a word. But um, mm-hmm. so it took both of us being willing in that moment to be vulnerable, to give and to receive, to to hear and to be heard, it it took it took all of that. And you're right, we don't have enough of those conversations because it you know we've been conditioned to you know to repel you know hurt as, as much as we can. But 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 the hurt that existed in that actually turned into something quite beautiful that the relationship was was um elevated in that moment and from the end we 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 made a bow to each other at that moment to always be to, to always create this safe space this safe space for us to share and to to feel and to encourage and to just love um through it all so i'm very appreciative for for that moment i mean it it was literally eye-opening sue um some of the revelations that came out of that but but we are both better for it i bet i'm so glad that you had the opportunity to do that it really is um so much of our angst in life is about not understanding truly someone else's story. And so if you are able to, as you said, both sides, you know, share that in a way that's, you know, genuine, um, it's remarkable what can come of it, the healing that takes place. Yes, yes. Yeah. I want to talk, Mayoshi, about your daughter. And of course, you know, um, you you were a single mother, which I'm sure that that was scary for you at a young age, but you were committed from the beginning to make um, a better life for her. So tell me what you do as a mother. What kind of conversations do you have with her to help build her own self-esteem? You know, at a very early age... I made sure that every day I spoke greatness into her life. Um, Every day I made sure that she knew how amazing she already was, that she knew how beautiful she already was, that it didn't take anything else. It didn't require anything else for her to be totally amazing so that was the first thing Um, the second thing was that I allowed 
and this is something that I even practice in my business today with my staff, but I allowed an environment where failing wasn't penalized. Um, and, and, and I want to make sure I want to make sure that that this is coming across um, the, the way I'm intending it, because I believe that when you foster an environment where people are not afraid of failure, it allows them to excel more because they are not afraid of trying. If they think they're going to try and then they're going to be penalized for missing the mark, then they're going to be less likely to try. But when you foster that environment where failure is not penalized, what it actually does is it creates the opposite effect. Failure is very rarely then um, witnessed because people are, are, are willing to take the chance and they're more apt to try to excel to prove that they, you know, are not a failure. So th that was one of the things I just encouraged her to try. And as long as you try, that's all anybody can expect. I would imagine your employees and your team um, feel very much a part of the company and um, are, are very happy to be working for you. Yeah, yeah. I have this I have this philosophy that, you know, I am the entrepreneur, but everybody on my team are entrepreneurs. So I want them to take ownership. And one of my coaches um, has this saying that she teaches her team to be the CEO of their own desk. And that's there what I go. that's what yeah. I promote in my business. So, yeah, I want everybody to have a sense of ownership. Yeah. Mayoshia, I so much enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for taking the time to share um, all of your great wisdom and your story with us tonight. This has been amazing, Sue. Thank you so very much for having me. That is it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Thank you so much to our watch team and sponsors. And stay tuned for my interview next week with psychologist Sherry Burton. Next up will be Dr. Tamitha Fenster of Weill Cornell Medicine. Have a great week, everyone. Now, the Women to Watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso from Pathways Consulting Group. I read an article that suggested that recruitment issues will potentially harm IT modernization efforts. Recruiting more women in the technology industry can only help. But, as I've discussed in the past, the participation of women in the technology industry has declined in the past 20 years, and it's the one STEM discipline where the participation of women hasn't increased. Did you know that a lack of women in technology can lead to a decrease in performance and profits, creating a missed opportunity for businesses? Greater gender diversity in technology impacts businesses' bottom line, as research from Morgan Stanley indicates. Ensuring that there's a good balance of women leading and working in the workplace just makes for good business. A field experiment published in Management Science found that teams with an equal gender mix had better sales and profits than male-dominated teams. So, why does gender diversity lead to better performance? It's called collective intelligence. Pierre Levy once said that collective intelligence is the capacity of human collectives to engage in intellectual cooperation in order to create, innovate, and invent. So, that should mean that when you add women to a group, 
The presence of women leads to a higher collective intelligence, which in turn strengthens the group's ability to solve problems, build solutions, and come up with ideas. Higher gender diversity teams not only enjoy better returns, but companies that adopt gender diversity could more likely outperform companies that don't. If we're going to increase the amount of women in the technology industry, we have to start to consider how we change our approach. It will require strategies that appeal to the values and lifestyles of women. I'd love to share your thoughts on this topic in the future, so please email me at mary at pathwayscg.com with your ideas and input. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. Hi, Sue Rocco here with a very special spotlight on Dr. Tamitha Fenster of Wild Cornell Medicine in New York. Tamitha has developed an amazing device for patients with COVID to use in the hospital in order to stay connected to their loved ones. Tamitha, tell us what's behind Voice Love. Sure. Thank you so much, Sue, for the opportunity. Voice Love started back in March at the height of the New York City COVID pandemic when I was asked to be an intensivist in the ICU. And because we got volunteers from all over the country, I was no longer needed in a medical capacity to be a clinician. But I still very much wanted to help patients in need. So I offered to start a liaison program where I would round with ICU attendings, get pertinent medical information, and then call families with these pearls to give them updates on their loved ones in the ICU. It was during these phone calls that patients expressed to me, family expressed to me, that they wanted desperately to connect to their loved ones. And we had cell phones and we had iPads, but it required somebody standing in the patient's room, which required use of PPE, of which we really didn't have any extra PPE. It required them potentially to be exposed to the virus for longer periods of time. And it required the most valuable resource that we needed was time. It it needed staff to dedicate a certain period of time and coordinate with family to make that phone call happen. Didn't seem practical. We thought there has to be some system, almost like a walkie talkie, that could put the family bedside the patient when it was their time, when it was their schedule, when their heart told them to connect. So we we thought, okay, we're going to mail Motorola's to everyone across the country, which turned out to be very impractical. My partner, Dr. Mark Schiffman, went to a department store and he found a speaker that connected to a cell phone app. Using the app, anyone in the world could connect through the speaker. So we brought the speaker to the hospital and it got cleared by IT. When we tried to bring it into the ICU, there were some limitations, some hesitancy. The speaker had a central button and the concern was the button could be pushed and there were holes on the speaker. There was a cord in the back that could be dislodged and there was infection control concerns. So we didn't give up because we knew we were onto something. So my partner and I engineered a medical case 
that allowed the device to transition into the hospital environment, into an ICU environment. And it, it made all those concerns go away. And as soon as we put this device inside our case, we could put it in the ICU. And within a day, we had requests all throughout these different ICU units in our hospital to give the apps to family and put speakers bedside the patients. I wrote a couple of articles for medical societies I'm part of. So it started to spread throughout the country and people would write to me and say, you know, how come we didn't know about this? We want to hear about this program. And I'm thinking, I don't even have Facebook. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I don't really know how to get the word out. So I, I created a website, voicelove.org. And within a week of the website being up, we had a hundred requests throughout the country. And we started mailing out devices. And the way we've been doing it is completely donation. So what we do is any individual who requests a device, we have a suggested donation on the GoFundMe that's part of the website. We take funding from the GoFundMe and we're able to purchase devices for family members in need. And it has just been an incredible opportunity and experience for me these families are going through so much agony and to provide them with even one millimeter of peace of mind and connection, I'm just so incredibly grateful to get that opportunity to do that. Tamitha, I'm so impressed by what you've done and I wish you continued success both to you and Mark and we will be sure to share with our listeners. Thank you so much, Sue. I hope that we can help as many people as possible. We will. Take care. Take care. Coming up next is our Coach's Corner podcast, which is a shorter version of our weekly show and can be heard wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm BJ Gray with this week's Coach's Corner. So often I find myself spinning in circles, not physically, but mentally. There's so much going on, so many demands, so many to-dos, I feel overwhelmed. And I want to feel focused and productive, but something happens to me when I'm in my house. I'm constantly doing things, but not feeling like I'm really accomplishing anything. This mental spinning is my kryptonite. And if you're having similar experiences, the key is to learn how to snap out of this mental state so you can feel like you're riding the wave instead of drowning in it. It took a lot of practice, but I learned the art of self-discipline in order to stay calm and focused. I created an online mental fitness bootcamp for leaders, and I talk about this concept of being the boss of you so you can create maximum efficiency and get the most out of your day. It not only involves adopting new techniques for time management, energy, and environment management, but the power comes from two mental strategies. The first one is learn to manage your self-talk. George Raveling said, quote, there are two conversations you engage in each day, one with yourself and one with others. And the most important conversation you can have is the one with yourself. The best part is you're in total control of that conversation, unquote. This is so true because the chatter in your head is just the thoughts you choose to think. Think about that. Notice the thoughts you're having when you're mentally spinning. The other power comes from when you learn to engage your prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain that is used for planning decisions and action. If you train yourself to use this part of the brain versus operating on autopilot, you will spend more time in forward action and less stressed. You have to be able to honor your plan and mastering time, energy, and environment management will support that endeavor. 
I implore all of you to learn the art of self-discipline and stop spinning in circles. Thanks for listening to this edition of Coach's Corner. Connect with me directly on LinkedIn or at bjgray.com. Until next time, I'm BJ from Coach's Corner. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHD or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.